Hi, everyone. This is Tech and Ed Tech. In this podcast, we discuss technology that powers education and improves learning for all. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on AI. I'm your host, Dan Gizzi from Magic Ed Tech, and our guest for this special edition podcast is Brian Carlson, founder and CEO at Storytime AI. Brian, thanks for joining me and welcome to today's show. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I'm real happy to be here. So, Brian, we've known each other a little bit. Um, we go back a couple of different careers together uh, throughout different industries. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your background for our audience. Um, you know, what got you into ed tech and a little bit about, you know, where you got to today. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I've got a pretty interesting background. I started as a teacher, uh, was which was not my plan. I started here in Baltimore at a college, uh, pretty local Loyola. And started with an engineering background, math background, had a little, uh, you know, break in the college uh, trajectory, as a lot of people do. Found myself out in Washington State as an astronomy and physics major. And, uh, and then when I was done, I was thinking I was going to go into maybe get a PhD in astronomy. And I worked with some folks at University of Washington. Um, but then I met a girl and moved over to uh, an island in the South Pacific called Vanuatu. And was a teacher there for two years, and I just absolutely loved it. And that really kind of got me going into when I got back to the states, education technology. I uh, got involved uh, eventually in a company called Elucian, which I think most people are very familiar with that, that are that are listeners of your show. And uh, I, I was actually there prior to it being Elucian. It went through a couple of acquisitions. I was there for uh, about six years as a technical consultant, traveling to colleges and universities. During that time, saw a really large opening for the the beginning of what became sort of the online education platform market. And it was very early stage, and Blackboard was the dominant player at the time. I got out and started working with an open source solution called Moodle and became a, a pretty large commercial provider for that open source solution. Starting to colleges and universities, eventually got involved in the corporate market, whereas I, I think that's pretty much where I started to meet you. And, I, and I'll, I'll throw it back at you. I've always been curious, Dan, what got you into this field? I, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you that. So I'm very curious. No, I, I appreciate that. Actually, no one's ever asked me on this before. So i uh, happy to uh, talk about myself a little bit. For this. Uh, yeah, I, I, have a, I have an accidental publishing career for, for a lot of my, my professional time. I actually started out in my university and um, I was a computer science major and ended up um, finalizing my time there with um, an MIS degree before MIS was a thing back at the end of the 90s. And um, I was hired by my university my junior year um, as a web administrator. That was back, I guess, in what we would probably call Web 1.0 or even probably pre-Web 1.0 when we still had black backgrounds and music would play and did all, we did all the fancy fun graphics. So I was... Um, the web administrator for uh, Monmouth University, the university I, I attended and graduated from. And um, I was working on the team that was taking word syllabi from the faculty, uploading them into WebCT, and we would call that an online class back in 1999. So um, uh, amazing how far we've come in the technology space since then. And then uh, I found myself um, in New York working for a corporate company, uh, doing ASP and web development and realized very quickly I was much better at talking about technology than building it at that point and um, found myself into publishing, had a publishing career through some of the big three and then uh, ultimately ended up in corporate learning where you and I met and um, 
from there ended up uh, moving around a little bit during the pandemic and finding my way back into the professional services space here at Magic. Wow, very interesting. I haven't heard that. Uh, I haven't heard WebCT in a bit. That's uh, a throwback name that you don't hear these days because I think they got sort of bought in a. What did they get purchased by Blackboard and then Sunset? They did. Yep. Okay. Just before the, I was with them. Just before we were working with them as one of their their premier universities at the time prior to the acquisition by Blackboard. Yeah. So they're. I'm sure if the code I wrote all those years ago is long gone, but who knows? <laughs> it'll be out there in the ether, right? <laughs> I mean, so as we think of just, you know, both of our journeys and how we've both, you know, made it to this point in our careers, I'd love to hear your take on, you know, the the democratization of learning. And I've been practicing that word offline a few times. I, of course, fumble it. But, uh, you know, it's um, in the emerging technologies, you know, how are we taking what you would say and be all of these different competing resources, Web 1, Web 2, now Web 3, where we're at? and get them to where you would say would be a position for um, a learner today? Yeah, great question. I think with both of our backgrounds, it's a really interesting question because we both started um, in places we didn't expect to land on sort of online education. So I think when we talk about online education, that's probably where a lot of the democratization of learning has happened over the last two decades. Uh, There's a famous uh, quote from, I think, a Hemingway book, How Did You Go Bankrupt, right? Two ways, gradually then suddenly, right? So, you know, if you would have told me 25 years ago when, you know, 1999, 1998, when Blackboard and WebCT were first really starting to get dominance, that it wouldn't, uh, it would, we'd still be sort of what I would say is, you know, not fully baked in the world of how we're providing online education. You know, I probably wouldn't have believed it, but I think that these things, they, they happen very slow at first. And then all of a sudden it's the, it's the only way that you learn down the road. So I, I think we're still sort of in the middle of it, maybe two thirds through that, that uh, you, you know, obviously a lot of people are getting their education done in an online manner. That's uh, really dropped a lot of barriers. You see products like Coursera, or we had the, you know, the, uh, the MIT, you know, open courseware projects and things like that. They came out over the last couple of decades that really started to say, you know, you've got some where uh, B2C plays like Masterclass has done a really good job of taking gurus in a specific topic and saying, just because you live in, you know, over in another part of the world, you can still have access to this expert through the, the benefits of, of an online video or an on, a full online course. So I think we're, we're doing, we're doing pretty good. I mean, it's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people working very hard every day to continue to find ways to democratize education. You know, another another uh, great example of that would be like University of the People. They're offering a free education. They've worked with a lot of immigrants, uh, a lot of you know refugees uh, that are you know I, some of the stuff that was happening in Ukraine or Syria. You know, they were offering an education to those people at a time where they needed it, you know, and, and they, they've serviced tens of thousands of users. So I think it's still in its, in its process of, of happening. And I think we're making really good progress. But I think we, you know, we still have work to do there uh, to use these emerging technologies. And, and I think some of the things that are coming out will continue to, to help, but I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say, you know, having at the time when all of the the world seemed to change overnight. I had a second grader. Now I've got a fifth grader. And I think one of the 
areas where I would say the gap has increased dramatically with um, with that, particularly in, in underserved populations, is uh, the reading gap. You know, I think we, we everybody just focuses so heavily on, on math, but I would say literacy skills has almost taken a backseat. It tends to take a backseat all the time as well, even from the funding perspective, where, you know, a lot of the stuff does flow into the sciences or the maths. And, you know, even if you think of just STEM and STEAM, well, we forget about the reading part of that too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things that you were seeing? I know you had an interesting journey um, throughout the pandemic. What led you down this path of, of <laughs> not only taking for example, it's obviously we're discussing AI here today, but from a generative approach to bridging the reading gap. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it is important to note that um, my last company was, uh, I founded a company, Ethink Education, that was based on Moodle um, that we mentioned here in the intro that I, w- I did sell. And, uh, and that got consolidated with a couple of other companies doing the same thing. And that's now known as OpenLMS. Um, that's a pretty pretty large company, hundreds of employees, you know, thousands of clients. They're based on open source Moodle. Um, I stayed on board for a little bit and as the head of sales there, and then needed some time off. And that was, um, you know, very important for me because I had some time to really get back in the lab, so to speak. Had some time to reset, kind of recover from startup life, if you will, uh, which can be quite stressful. During that time, you know, it was the last couple of years, that's when the AI boom started. So I was lucky enough to kind of have time to really dive back in. I've always been um, very interested in some of these emerging technologies, whether it's blockchain or AI, and whether or not, and I think that was really the big question, they were going to be as impactful in the world of education, and, and if so, really how. So what I'm working on right now is a new project called Storytime AI, and it really just came up about just based on some tinkering and some I, some questions I was I was curious what can the AI do well right now where is it going to be five years from now it didn't matter to me as much as what could I use it for that would be um, interesting and fun and maybe not quite as stressful as you know running a larger company like I did in my last endeavor and that's where I landed on okay let's use this to create stories for kids to start with and then maybe down the road a little bit more uh, on the way of generative literature, so longer form books that would go for more than just young kids. So we started using the the AI models and testing the limits to pull in images and text. So image models and then LLMs, large language models, to pull text plus images and combine them into what we felt were engaging and compelling stories. So the way that we're seeing right now as, as, as the, using this as an example, where we see some of these you know, AI products democratizing education for, for what I'm working on right now, in terms of the, the literacy gap, we just released our product. We had some early testing and beta going on, but the biggest thing is just engagement. You know, There's a concept of, you know, if you see it, you can be it. Uh, that's come up quite a few times from teachers that have had the app in their hands. And and what they're saying is that, you know, if a kid can see themselves in a story, then it's just one of those psychological tools that, you know, they believe they can become that. I, I had it in front of a, a friend's kid recently. And I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a Baltimore city police officer. And And I thought that was you know, really, really interesting answer. So I put that into the into the story front end prop, where it's, you know, just a setting, a theme, a plot. And I said Baltimore, Baltimore City. I said, you know, that he grows up to be a Baltimore City police officer. And the AI 
it took me about you know ten seconds to create the, the the prompt in the front end of this app, and then a minute later, I had a full flippable book that I that, that we read together, and he was his eyes were wide open, he was shaking with excitement. I'm not even exaggerating. Uh, he just couldn't believe how that how it worked that he was in the book and he was asking me how how he calls me Uncle B. He's like Uncle B, Uncle B, how did you do that? How did you do that? And I and I. Uh, and I, I kind of, you know, we've had a lot of experiences like that, but that whole concept of, okay, here's a, here's a case study where, you know, AI is coming and allowing a parent at a very, very low cost to not have to go buy a $25 book, but do this for, for, you know, 20 cents a story to be able to create a book for their kid that is culturally relevant and inclusive and you know that's that's powerful and so there's one example either i've seen some other really powerful examples as well um, but that's one of the ones that i've personally been a part of here over the past couple of weeks that's such a great story i love hearing that um thanks i guess that does lead me down another path of questioning though that i'd love to get your opinion on so um you know having now become a pseudo expert in, in generative AI, but forcefully like just about like everyone else, it feels like in the last nine months. <laughs> One of the questions that so we're true. always tasked with asking is, uh, yeah, it really is, right? Um, uh-huh. You know, one of the questions we're always tasked as a company that provides professional services, for example, is security and protection of IP or security and protection of the individuals on the other end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some of the the measures you would say if we're if we kind of spin this back around to thinking about say Web 3.0 again that are, you would want your listeners to know around you know security protocols and things in areas that they could implement? Say we got some entrepreneurs listening that are thinking of starting something like this for themselves. You know, what are some security measures they could be thinking about to not only protect say IP but also protect say you know that eight year old end user that's going to be the next Baltimore. Uh, you know, Baltimore police officer. Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question, and it's uh, it, it's emerging, right? So there's there's uh, it depends on what specific thing you're looking at for for AI and generative AI in particular. To to start with, we'll, we'll, let's talk about images. There's a lot of work being done. Uh, like so, for ours, for example, we have um, multiple NSFW filters to filter out. We, we want an approach, and, and this is super important for anybody, any entrepreneur out there trying to do anything in AI. Um, you know, you have COPA laws, you have so many guardrails to protect, um, you know, kids in, in, in an educational setting um, or parents want the same thing if they're doing this in their homes. So if you're an entrepreneur, you have to make sure you have those guardrails. So uh, there's a lot of built-in ones with a lot of the products out there. Um, we've added extra layers in ours for, you know, ban words as an example. Um, we also have image classifiers. So if the image co- uh, comes back and it has anything in it that we would deem to be uh, unsettling or not safe um, for children, then it it flags it and it won't show that image. It blurs the image out and it, it says that it makes you recreate the image or um, you know, that may also flag it for us that so we would take a look if we're seeing a lot of that come from one user. We're building in the guardrails to make sure that we're monitoring it as well and looking for any misuse of, of the product. So I think that the, the AI companies themselves, and there's quite a few emerging, whether it's on the side of images, like if you look at, we're using an open source one, I'm a big proponent of open source technologies, uh, based on what I've done in my career, we're using Stability's uh, Stable Diffusion SDXL 
image generator. And they have a lot of built-in features as well. It's very important to them, obviously, in the early stage to not to not have anything come out um, that is going to be um, that is going to hurt their reputation. OpenAI, the exact same thing. They have a number of filters. So you'll probably already see that if you've been using GenAI, ChatGPT. Um, there's a lot of other LLMs emerging, uh, open source ones. Meta's got Llama out, which is is emerging right now is a, is a strong open source competitor. And same thing applies there. Um, you can add your own in, uh, but it's certainly very important when it comes to to that to that type of to that type of work. On the on the other side, you know, in terms of you know protecting IP and things like that, that is also really interesting. And that is as of right now, I think being sort of continually debated as to where IP exists and where it doesn't. Um, but I think that you know we try to err on the side of conservative on that. You know, it's uh, it's down the road. Um, you know, I think there's ways you can really integrate and give a portion of proceeds to those whose data was trained to get the generative AI content. And I think that that's right now a, a really interesting thing that a lot of entrepreneurs need to consider is you don't want to replace humans. You need to figure out how can you work with creators to enhance what they're doing or work with people that already have existing content to make sure they're getting some type of a revenue share um, when you're looking at protecting you know, their IP or you'll probably end up sued. So I think there's a lot of emerging models and, and, and conversation around uh, both of those topics. Well, that's great. I appreciate that insight. Um, let's fast forward 10 years from now. Um, you know, you're, the current Dan's and Brian's are still staring at the stars and plotting their path to techno- technological revenge that are in college right now. You know, what are, what are you telling them to think about 10 years from now? Wow. Um, I mean, I think that right now... Yeah, no pressure on that question, by the way, either, you know. Yeah, no, no. I, I think that right now, and because this is a, you know, the focus that we're looking at today is Gen AI and, and, and really Web3 as a whole. I think you have to look at Web3 as a movement if you're an entrepreneur, right? Web2 was, was massive, right? And, and you and, you know, you and me cut our teeth right now, mostly in Web2 technologies, right? We came, we came to really after Web1 was starting to, to kind of hit the tail end and Web2 was starting to take off. Right. With Web three, you know, I think you gotta you gotta hone in on understanding where where the industry is going to go. Right. So you have to get knowledgeable right now if you're a young entrepreneur and you're looking at you know I want to be. Um, you know, I've talked to a couple of people recently that I've just thought, wow, you're so lucky. You have the exact skill set you need for what I would consider you know the first inning of AI and Web three technologies really starting to capture the attention of the public. We all know, like you said, for the last nine months, we've all become pseudo AI experts, right? That's not, that's, I've never really been through something quite like that. You know, the internet was the closest thing, but this is new. You know, we've been told over and over in all of our, you know, media that we need to learn AI and AI is coming, whether we like it or not, right? So I think you got to wrap your head around that if you're young and understand, you know, what are, what are these benefits? that we're going to see from Web3 and what can they do and what can't they do and and what would be different about a Web3 technology versus a Web2 technology, right? So I think you need to you need to have that short list of what are those things and then what are the technologies that will support those things and then become a little bit like I would say hyper-obsessed with um, following those companies, following those 
uh, individuals that are talking about those things and then doing the extra research so that you become an expert yourself. If you do that, you'll be invaluable. That's great. Final thoughts, parting advice for our listeners, you know, um, that, that are out there, you know, grinding along and, and figuring out what that next, next greatest thing is, you know, what's, what's some of your parting advice? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd go back to, you know, to that, to the last question. And, and I'd say that, you know, we're, we're in a state of change right now, right? We, we see a lot of things in, in flux, I think in the world. Um, and it's a time to really, I think, invest in yourself right now and, and understand, you know, as much as you possibly can about, you know, the shifts that are happening, right? And if we talk about Web3 technology specifically in that, and that's something that's interesting to your, to your listeners that are, are, are trying to plot their, their journeys in the world of education technology, um, there's just a lot of really exciting things happening, right? If you look at Web3, you think about decentralization, you think about lowering costs because of that. You think about things like, um, you know, using blockchain to build uh, distributed autonomous organizations, um, which are, are really, I think, important when you look at what's happening with some of the consolidation you and I have seen over the last 20 years in the industry, right. um, where it might open up new new ways of creating businesses that allow entrepreneurs to come out of the gates faster um, and build things um, that maybe um, allow them to use blockchain to build new incentives and new ways to sort of, um, you know, take advantage of, you know, ways that when we were trying to build businesses, it was more difficult and there was more bureaucracy. So I think the advice I would have is, is to really double down on yourself right now and realize that, you know, what was it, Dan, our, our parents all had one job, right, for their whole careers and, or, you know, and, yep. and we're, we had 10 and I don't know how many jobs the next person is going to have. I don't know if people even have jobs. They might just be, you know, all freelancers working for, uh, for uh, distributed autonomous organizations that are built on blockchain and, uh, and building these decentralized apps that are, you know, uh, open, you know, kind of owned by the, by the masses as opposed to owned by large entities. So there's some exciting stuff coming with all these Web3 technologies and, and obviously AI uh, is a big part of that. So I think you'd really want to just continue to double down, continue to invest in it and really, you know, don't be afraid of those things because um, they really present opportunity right now. And I think, I think that's the big, the big piece of advice that I, I would say to anybody you know, young or old, right? I mean, if you're a mid-career, it's the same thing. You know, you have to realize that those shifts are coming and change is inevitable. So although it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's gradually and then all of a sudden it's all at once, it's, it's, it's still, uh, it's still, uh, it's easier to look back and see the, the change. But I think in the midst of it, the advice I would give, and I think what I've learned is it's always coming and it seems to be going at a more rapid pace right now. Than, uh, than when we were younger, and maybe that's me, me just sounding old. Maybe, I don't know if you feel the same way. <laughs> well, if you know the old adage, the old, only constant is change, right? There you go. That's exactly right. You know, and it, it does feel like it's happening faster. The way technology has uh, has evolved, especially with this uh, with this new massive shift uh, using using generative AI. Brian, thank you for joining me today on the latest Tech and Ed Tech podcast. We appreciate your insight and look forward to you and our audience joining us in future podcasts. Thank you. I really enjoyed being here, Dan. Such a pleasure. Absolutely.